I'm talking to um, my colleague Felicity Lochlin today. She's a research fellow at the University of St. Andrews. She works for the Institute in Intellectual History. Felicity is a historian of religious ideas and she specializes in Scotland and Europe in the time period between roughly 700 to 1850. She's currently employed in the Leverhulme-funded research project after the Enlightenment, which focuses on Scottish intellectual life between 1719 and 1843. Felicity, um, can you give us a short introduction to your research? Thank you, Lena. My research looks at unbelief in the early 19th century in Scotland and its connection with wider intellectual and scholarly developments. In the aftermath of the French Revolution, many Christian thinkers in Calvinist Scotland were deeply troubled by the rise of unbelief. Unbelief was thought to take on various manifestations, spanning heterodoxy, scepticism, deism, and at the greatest extreme, atheism. Now, Christian observers sometimes exaggerated the scale of unbelief, but their concerns were by no means unfounded. The early 19th century saw the emergence of free-thinking Zetetic societies in Edinburgh and Glasgow. By the 1830s, these were joined by socialist rational religionist branches, followers of Robert Owen, who shared his dislike of traditional religions. This period also saw the influx of infidel missionaries from England coming to convert the Scots, as well as the appearance of radical bookshops selling blasphemous texts. We also get in the early 19th century the first blasphemy trials since the 17th century, the last of which took place in 1843, which is the rough end point of my study. Now, at the same time as unbelief was becoming more visible at a popular level, um, with artisans and labourers joining the free thinking societies or the socialist branches, members of the educated male elite were also suspected of harbouring deistic or infidel views. George Coombe, for instance, the founder of the Edinburgh Phrenological Society, was accused of promoting deism by popularising a materialist understanding of the workings of the human mind. Thomas Carlyle, the celebrated historian and biographer, was accused by some of promoting a German-style pantheism. So, for example, in his essay on hero worship, which argued for a divine principle imminent in heroic human figures. And Robert Chambers, a leading publisher of the age, who produced in 1844 his scandalous vestiges of the natural history of creation, mobilised controversial geological arguments that contradicted biblical accounts of creation. He very wisely chose to publish this anonymously. So essentially, my project is looking at what unbelief meant to contemporaries in the early 19th century and its associations with wider intellectual and scholarly developments, not only in theology, but also in science, biblical criticism, history and literature. And finally, I'm looking at how did unbelief contribute to wider intellectual, religious and political change? 
Oh, this sounds really good. Um, and you know, also you already mentioned, let's say, the wider developments, and you mentioned socialist groups tagging on to the to the um, unbelievers, and also geology coming in. So, what do you hope will the impact of your current research project be on the broader field? Yes, I think there are lots of different ways in which I hope this project will contribute to wider debates about the 19th century. I suppose the, the first and foremost aim of what I'm trying to do is reintegrate unbelief into the religious landscape of the early 19th century, because it's something that has generally been dismissed by historians of religion in this period. Um, partly that's because of very understandable distractions. So this is a period where Christians are fighting against themselves in a very heated manner, um, culminating in 1843 in the great disruption of the Scottish church. So there are big themes into religious debate that distract from the idea of unbelief. And also, um, Recent, in recent decades, the general idea of a 19th century crisis of faith has been quite substantially critiqued. So this concept of um, the crisis of faith has quite rapidly fallen out of fashion, um, as people have argued that unbelief was something that not many people dabbled in, that they are unbelievers were few and far between, and that we really need to wait until the 20th century before we get widespread movement towards secularization. And I think that kind of research has definitely restored a welcome sense of perspective to this, this um, subject of unbelief, because it's important to recognize that the unbelievers were a minority However, what I want to do is show that even though this was a minority group, they were still significant. They were still important to contemporaries and they created shockwaves, not only among unbelievers, but they elicited responses from religious groups too. So by restoring unbelief to the historiography of the Scottish religious landscape, we not only get a better idea about unbelief, but we also get a better idea about wider religious debates in Scotland. So it gives us um, a new perspective on those big theological debates that are also going on. So there's these intersecting concerns between unbelievers and believers that have often gone unnoticed. So the main aim really is to restore unbelief to the, the centre of the discussion. Um, but I have also secondary ambitions as well. So one of those is to connect the Scottish Enlightenment with the early 19th century. So I want to look at how far the legacy of the 18th century religious debates continue into the 19th century. Um, so part of that will be quite clearly the legacy of Humean scepticism. It's quite hard to get away from David Hume when you're looking at unbelief but also wider um, religious concerns in the 18th century. So debates over the scope and limits of natural religion, um, also debates over the origins of religion as a human phenomenon. So these psychological analyses of why 
societies develop religions. Um, I want to see how far those kinds of theories and explanations influence debates in the 19th century. So really just looking at how far the 19th century is a turning point. Do we see much continuity or is it mostly change? Um, and that's partly about looking at the reception of the Scottish Enlightenment, but also the reception of the broader European Enlightenment. So the French philosophes make a real hit among unbelievers in Scotland. Um, so looking at how wider 18th century religious debates are received in new contexts and developed in different ways. Um, and the final thing that I'd really like this work to do is um, think about how far 19th century unbelief is fundamentally different or similar to earlier expressions of disbelief or doubt in Scottish history or more broadly in European history. Is this 19th century unbelief very different from earlier forms of doubt? Um, and this is something I've been discussing with some other colleagues, including uh, Dr. Martha McGill in Warwick University. And it's a very interesting thing to see how far we can trace a lineage in unbelief, or is this something very new and distinct? So those are the three main things I'd like this project to do. This sounds fascinating. And you, you already mentioned kind of wider developments and, and the legacy of the Scottish Enlightenment. So how does this new project fit with your previous work? That's a good question. Um, so my previous research, my PhD thesis was on the Scottish Enlightenment and their explanations or theories of the origins of religion in human societies. And I tried to connect those theories with earlier debates about um, pagan religions. And in doing that, I tried to question the extent of Hume's radicalism mm -hmm. by putting his work in another context. So these sorts of arguments stemmed from much earlier traditions in European scholarship. So I really was interested in looking at religious debates in the Scottish Enlightenment and how that affected understandings of things like how distinctive was Christianity in global religious history. So these are questions that clearly intersect with some of those things that unbelievers are dealing with. Um, for the majority of Scottish Enlightenment thinkers, their explanations of religion as a human phenomenon did not lead them to question Christianity. So it's interesting to see what makes things change in mm. the 19th century. So really I'm looking at the connection really is how far do the religious debates of the Scottish Enlightenment shape those in the 19th century? And based on my PhD research, I'm interested especially in how far attitudes towards non-Christian religious cultures shape unbelief. Please allow me one last question. Um, so what would you say has been the most striking or surprising or maybe interesting in the research for the project so far? That is a very difficult question because it's also interesting. But <laughs> I think I've been surprised by the sheer vitality of popular unbelief specifically. So debates among Scottish artisans and labourers 
were really very um, heated. They held these debates on a regular basis where they engaged with serious philosophical and theological questions. And they engaged with wider discoveries in geology, in science, phrenology, literature, mm. in doing that. So I think that the vitality of it is amazing that these groups would often gather 300 or 400 people um, to discuss these things. They often were quite male dominated, although in the socialist branches you did have more women. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think the vitality of popular unbelief is really remarkable. And in addition to that, I think the networks that they forged were very interesting. So unbelievers in Edinburgh would have contacts with those in Glasgow and also the intersections with elite and popular culture here are very interesting because there's one example for instance of um, an Edinburgh advocate who walks past an unbelievers bookshop and he sees a lot of books in there that he thinks are dreadful so he goes <laughs> into the bookshop and he demands that they engage with his own arguments about mm. the necessity of God and rational theology. Um, and the Edinburgh bookseller says, well, we can't really respond to these well just now, but we know someone in Glasgow who can do that for us. Mm. So they write to one of their free thinking colleagues in Glasgow who writes a text 100 pages long refuting this Edinburgh advocate who's a big member of the anti-infidel associations. His name's William Gillespie. Um, so it's fascinating to see these networks playing out as well. That's been something I've been surprised by. Um, and also the diversity of the responses that unbelief elicits, because for some it's deeply troubling. It requires stamping out and it requires silencing. But others disagree and argue that if opinion is not shaping morals, then it should be left to be free. So the, the differences in response are also very interesting. But to sum up, really, it's just the richness of the source material that is a delight to work with. <laughs> Thank you very much for this interview. Thank you.